Hey, welcome to the Outside Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. Hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Very well. Today, I was told to speak on the subject of holding grudges. Uh, uh, I think it's a series that you guys are starting, so it's going to be a good one. It's a good one. And I don't know if you already started it or not, or I'm the first one to kick it off. But I'm going to try and at least put a foundation when it comes to this subject. So what I want to say about this before I even get into it is that I want to bring an example from the Bible. And again, I, I forgot. Let me go to Spanish. Quiero traer un ejemplo de la Biblia. Voy a hablar de el uno mantener y aguantar rencores en la vida es una serie que creo que van a comenzar eh, y voy a traer un ejemplo bíblico que creo que demuestra lo que es eh, retener o aguantar rencores en la vida eh, I'm going to bring uh, an example from the Bible that I believe will show us the effects of what holding a grudge in your life will have and so when I think about this, I think about a person in the Bible called Saul. And in my opinion, and I think that I'm probably right about this, Saul holds the record for holding the longest grudge in the Bible. Eh, creo que si miramos a un ejemplo, ejemplo bíblico para hablar de eh, lo que es el mantener rencor o rencores en la vida y miramos a la Biblia encontramos de que uno de, eh, de las personas que tiene un rencor y lo aguanta por mucho tiempo más que cualquier otra persona bíblicamente hablando es Saulo eh, and so when I think about this I think about the whole story the tragedy of what this life is because Saul's story begins as a story that is very promising. He is chosen to be king by God. But yet, he ends up in his life committing suicide at the end of 1 Samuel. Saulo tiene una, un llamado muy prometedor. Es escogido por Dios. Para ser rey de Israel, el primer rey de Israel. Pero aunque comienza con una promesa, termina en una tragedia. Y hoy quiero mostrarle este ejemplo de Saulo. So let's pray. Father, we come before you. And we thank you for this night. We thank you for everyone here. We ask you to speak to us, Lord. Te pedimos que nos hables. Mientras desarrollamos este mensaje, esta plática, hoy esta enseñanza, que las personas que están aquí puedan oír tu voz y puedan en este día recibir ministración. Si en alguna área, Señor, de su vida están manteniendo un rencor hacia alguien, que tú puedas allí traer libertad para que ellos puedan sanar. I ask you, Lord, that if anybody here in this place today is holding on to a grudge, that you may speak to them, that they may be ministered to, 
so that they may be able to let go of that grudge and be healed in the name of Jesus. We ask you this. Amen. Amen. You may have your seat today. I'm going to ask you to be patient with me as I try and get into this message and I try to develop it both in Spanish and English because I, was, I did not come ready to translate for myself. I'm sorry and I apologize for that. Eh, voy a tratar de eh, tomar mi tiempo en desarrollar este mensaje mientras traduzco del inglés al español porque no estaba muy preparado para hacer eso. Y hace tiempo que no predico en español. It's been a long time that I, I don't, do not preach in Spanish. Pero eh, when it comes to grudges, the first thing that we need to answer is what is a grudge? And according to the definition, a grudge is a feeling of deep-seated resentment or ill will. In other words, a grudge is having animosity towards somebody. A grudge is having bad blood. A grudge can be considered as having bitterness or hostility towards somebody. Cuando hablamos de mantener rencores, tenemos que definir lo que significa un rencor o tener un rencor. Y un rencor es un sentimiento de un resentimiento que existe dentro de la persona. Eh, un rencor puede venir a causa de hostilidad en relaciones. Eh, y por lo tanto, cuando desarrollamos eh, la definición de lo que es un rencor, tenemos que tener claro de que básicamente un rencor es tener resentimiento. To have a grudge, as we define it, the key is to understand that a grudge is rooted in resentment. Resentment. What is a resentment? Resentment is a feeling of an indignant displeasure. Or, persist, or, or persistent ill will at something regarded as a wrong, as an insult, or an injury. Let me, let me explain that for a moment. A resentment is when somebody feels that they have been wronged or insulted or injured in some way. They feel this. It's not necessarily the case. It's not necessarily the truth. Somebody can be holding a grudge or feel resentment towards somebody without them having proper cause for that. It could just simply be something that they made up in their mind that it was the case, that they were wronged even though they weren't, that they were injured or insulted even though that wasn't the case. Cuando hablamos de mantener resentimiento, rencor, tenemos que decir de que a veces las personas que tienen resentimiento sobre algo lo tienen porque se sienten que alguien le ha hecho un mal o los ha insultado de alguna manera. Y quiero que entiendan que no siempre que uno tiene o se siente que alguien lo ha insultado o le ha hecho un mal significa de que tienen la razón. Hay a veces que personas tienen resentimiento de cosas que interpretaron como que se le hicieron algo mal, pero en realidad no fue así. Sometimes we, are, we have resentment 
or we have or hold on to grudges or we have ill will which is an unfriendly feeling towards somebody not because of what they did to us but because of what they did to somebody that we know a veces tenemos resentimiento o reservas con alguien porque no necesariamente nos hicieron algo mal a nosotros sino que le hicieron algo mal a alguien a quien queremos o amamos ahora dicho eso no he venido en esta noche para hablarle de lo que es un rencor necesariamente ni de lo que es un resentimiento porque el resentimiento o el rencor ya viene siendo el síntoma el resultado de algo que ya ha venido desarrollándose dentro del corazón por otras razones. No, I did not come tonight to speak to you about what a grudge is necessarily, even though I just defined it to give you a foundation. Because I believe that once there is a grudge or somebody is holding a grudge, that grudge is simply a symptom of something that has already occurred within somebody's heart. There's another root cause. There's something else that has led the person to hold a grudge against somebody that is unseen. It occurs within the heart. It occurs where nobody can see it. It occurs in the place of the motives of an individual. Cuando hablamos de rencor o resentimiento, la raíz tenemos que aclarar que viene siendo algo que sucede en un lugar donde no se puede ver. En el corazón de la persona donde están las motivaciones o los motivos por el cual hacen las cosas en la vida. So, the, answer, the question that I want to answer tonight is where does a grudge come from? La pregunta que quiero contestarles en esta noche es de dónde vienen los rencores. Y cuando hablamos de esto, yo quiero ir a la historia y a la vida de Saulo. Porque Saulo es un ejemplo de una persona que comienza bien pero termina mal. Y estoy convencido de que una de las razones por la cual comienza bien y después termina mal es porque en el proceso y en el camino de su vida desarrolló un rencor en su corazón. I want to speak to you about somebody tonight by the name of Saul. I can preach in just English. Praise the Lord. God, you're good. It's the best note I've ever received while preaching. I was trying, I was trying. Thank you, brother. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Lord. God is good. <laughs> I think I lost my place already, too. <laughs> I want to speak to you today about a man named Saul who began his life the right way but ended the wrong way. And I believe the reason why he ended the wrong way was because in the process, in the in-between, he developed a grudge towards somebody that led him to that tragedy. Where does a grudge 
come from? 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 15 to 17, and then verse 20 to 21. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 15 to 17, and 20 to 21. Reading from the New International Version, it says, Now the day before Saul came, and he's speaking about going to Samuel the prophet because he was looking for his father's uh, goats. He went to the prophet or he was going to the prophet. And now the Bible says the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. And... About this time tomorrow, God said to Samuel, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. And he said to him, anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. I'm sorry, and it wasn't goats, it was the donkeys. And as for the donkeys that you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. This is Samuel speaking now to Saul. They have been found, and to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line. And now I want you to capture this response from Saul, the one who has been spoken of right now. God has told Samuel, this is the man I have chosen. This is the man that will be the first king of Israel. This is the man that will lead my people. And so Samuel sees him. And even in seeing him by his appearance, there is something in him that gives off this essence that he looks like a king as well. So, in other words, Saul had it all going for him. Not only was he chosen by God, he looked like a king as well. He was probably good looking and he was tall, we know that biblically. He looked like a man that could lead a nation. And so, all this to say that now Saul's answer surprises us a little bit. Because Saul now answers and says, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Immediately we see that Saul has a problem. Saul's problem is not that he is not good looking, that he's not tall, that he hasn't been chosen. Saul's problem is that he has low self-esteem. And when we talk about eventually developing grudges, animosity, hostility towards other people, having ill feeling towards others in life, we have to go back and understand where did it come from. And one of the things that usually drives a person to the point of developing grudges and holding grudges in life is that in some way or another 
they have a low self-esteem of themselves. They do not see themselves as God sees them. They do not accept the call of God over their life. And you could look at this and say there are signs of humility within this response. He looks to be humble. But in reality, he just has low self-esteem. Can I tell you something tonight? Sometimes we pass off our low self-esteem as humility. But in reality, it's that we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We don't have the confidence and the trust in God to walk in the call that he has made us. And so I want you to see that here in the beginning, in Saul's life, we are already seeing a glimpse into his heart. Saul seems to not see himself the way God sees him. This is the beginning. This is at the root that eventually drives him to develop one of the longest grudges in the biblical story. Can I tell you tonight that this is where we must look to first of all. I came to tell you that when it comes to our lives as believers and as Christians, we too must examine ourselves and know, yes, we need humility. That's important. But Paul says, may all of us and believers not have a view of themselves or an esteem of themselves that is higher than what it should be. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have some esteem of ourselves. In other words, meaning, listen, you can't think that you're better than what you are. But you have to at least have the confidence that you are who God called you to be. It's not based on your skills. It's not based on your abilities. This perspective and this view is not based on your accomplishments in life. It's based on who God is and what he has called you to do. And if he called you, then you got to believe that he who called you will also accomplish what he called you to do. So Saul already shows signs. Of low self-esteem and low self-esteem later on we'll see becomes a deep-seated and rooted issue that drives him to develop a grudge now the story doesn't end there because later on we see Saul starting out his kingship and his rule over his people when the spirit comes over him and the Philistines are about to attack he becomes a man with this confidence in the Lord, with this authority and the power of the Spirit to go out and defeat the enemy. And Saul's first act as a king, his first war as a king is a huge success because the Spirit of the Lord came over him. He began to prophesy the anger of the Lord came over him. The confidence of the Spirit came over him and he led his people into battle and obtained the victory. 
But we see that later. That's as far as his successes go. That's as far as his accomplishments get to. For in 1 Samuel now, chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, Samuel speaks to Saul after Saul having not waited for Samuel to offer a sacrifice before going into battle. Saul, in other words, you know the story probably, waiting for Samuel before going into battle, sees the Philistines, he sees the army of the enemies, and he gets impatient. He's afraid, the people are afraid. They're waiting for a word from God to know if they should proceed or hold back. To know if they're going to have success or they're going to fail. To know if they will have the favor of God or not. And Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel, the prophet, to offer the sacrifice. But in his impatience, and maybe, can I tell you this, maybe in his pride, rushes into it. And does something that he was not supposed to do. Now, Samuel tells him, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him, appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Short-lived success. Short-lived victory. Early in his life as a king, Saul disobeys God's command. And his kingdom, by the word of the prophet, is stripped from him. He no longer is chosen. He no longer is to continue to rule. Because he has disobeyed the Lord. So as we look at the story and we ask ourselves, where do grudges come from? We begin by saying that they begin to develop in the heart of somebody who has low self-esteem. But this low self-esteem with some victory or some accomplishments or even some accolades in life maybe begins to fade away. And pride begins to set in. And now maybe he begins to think, I am the king. I can do this. I am capable. I don't need at this point anybody else. I can do this on my own. That's what we get from his impatience in not waiting for the prophet to offer the sacrifice. He goes from low self-esteem to full-on pride. And in his pride, he disobeys God's command. And as you see the heart of Saul, in low self-esteem later turning into pride now, 
you begin to sense there is something wrong in this story. Something is not right. Something will not turn out right for this man. God has already prophesied it. It has already been declared. You will no longer be the king. Yet Saul does not seem to get it. Saul does not seem to want to let go. And we'll go on from chapter 9 in 1 Samuel all the way to the end of 1 Samuel in chapter 31 until we see the end of Saul. Him battling against God's will. Him defying God's commands. Because he's not willing to let go of the throne. You see, once we begin to see how Saul defies God and disobeys God and even pursues David to kill him because of his jealousy, we always have to go back to the beginning to understand how that came about. The grudge that he had with David began in his resentment, began in his feeling like he was in the wrong or in the right in this particular case for having done what he did. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 10 to 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel and said, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. And has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. Saul is prideful now. Saul went from being a person with low self-esteem to being a person full of pride. Even after he was told that he will no longer be king, he goes on his own and builds a monument for himself. Samuel has had enough. And in chapter 15, verses 16 to 20, he says, enough, Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul said, tell me. And Samuel said, listen to me. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? In other words, Samuel is reminding him, when you started out, you were humble. When you started out, you had low self-esteem. But now, you're full of pride. And your pride has led you to lose the kingdom. What started off good is now turning into something bad. But Saul, as you read the story, refuses to accept 
that he did anything wrong. He is indignant, defiant. He says, but I did obey the Lord. But I did do what God commanded in his mind. Saul didn't notice that his pride had blinded him. And so when we speak of grudges that have developed in the life of believers, we must understand that there is a root cause first of all. And the root cause usually begins with low self-esteem and develops in some way or form in the process of obtaining victories and accomplishments in life into pride. And pride does not allow one to accept the correction of others. Pride leads to rebellion. Pride leads to doing your own thing. And so, when we look at this and we see it, Samuel eventually tells Saul in verses 27 to 28, there in chapter 15, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. Listen. In other words, Saul's rebellion and arrogance, when we read the story, are likened to divination and idolatry. Because Samuel told him, the Lord does not delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord. To obey the Lord is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you as king. Saul became prideful. And in his arrogance, he became rebellious. And Samuel said, the sin of rebellion and arrogance is like divination and idolatry. Can I tell you tonight, my brother and my sister, we have to ask ourselves, where do grudges come from? And when we see what later on develops in Saul's life as he pursues David to kill him because he's jealous of him, because as stated by the prophet, he is better than him. You go back to the root and you see that it is because, number one, low self-esteem. Number two, pride and rebellion. If we want to avoid grudges, having hostility against others, and none of us are perfect, let me tell you tonight. We have to examine our hearts and make sure that in it, we do not hold on to low self-esteem, number one. But more importantly, that we do not let it develop into pride and into arrogance. Because then it will lead us to pursue and to kill those that threaten what we have. So, 
Samuel tells Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. If we want to avoid having grudges in life, then we must make sure, first of all, that we are living a life in obedience to God. That we are living a life in which we, in the secret of our hearts, is pleasing to the Lord. Because the truth is that sometimes in our disobedience and in our rebellion, we obtain the maybe wrath of God. Maybe some type of bad consequences. And that leads us to see other people like Saul saw David that had success and the favor of the Lord. And everything he did was successful because he obeyed the Lord. And Saul begins to hold grudges against David. Because he himself was not willing to be obedient to God in the first place. Let me put it this way. Sometimes our incompetence will be revealed by those who are competent. I'm going to say it over here. Sometimes our incompetence will be revealed by those that are competent. It's like somebody, listen, like somebody that is mediocre in the way they do things becomes jealous of those that are hardworking. They get mad at them. They get angry at them because the results of working in excellence, of being competent, of doing things the right way, Yields good results most of the time. And being mediocre, going halfway, doing things just to get by, yields bad results. And so the thing that happens is that our, mediocre, our mediocrity becomes exposed by others' excellence. And I believe that to be the case with Saul and David. Saul was disobedient and rebellious. And David was better than him. Not because David had more ability. But because David was simply obedient. Can I tell you today. That if we want to guard our hearts from grudges that will develop at some point in our lives, we have to make sure that we look within. First of all. And realize that if we do our job the way we're supposed to, and if we give 100% in what we're called to do, and if we do things the way we're supposed to do them, it doesn't matter what all-star comes along. It doesn't matter how good other people are. When I know that I've given my best, when I know that I've given my all, when I know that I've been obedient in what I've been called to do, I don't have to be hostile to those that are better 
Because I know who I am and what I've been called to do. And so, we have to be careful. Because as Samuel states it, rebellion is like divination or witchcraft and arrogance like idolatry. In other words, divination desires an independence, not a submission. The person who is rebellious wants to do their own thing, not a God thing. The person who is rebellious operates in witchcraft because they're not willing to submit to God in faith. But when we submit to God, what we do is that we put our faith in him and we don't attempt to retain control for ourselves. That's why arrogance, pride is like idolatry. Arrogance means to pressure, to insist, to persuade, to urge. Saul insisted on holding on to his kingship. And his rebellion would not let him submit to God. His arrogance demanded his own way, not God's way. And finally, that's what led him to the grudge that led him to the fall and ended in tragedy. When we read this story, I don't know about you, but I am saddened because as we move on to 1 Samuel 16, we see that the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And now an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. And you know the story that when David played for him, the spirit of God would come and the evil spirit will leave. And Saul would receive relief. But can I just finish by saying this tonight. This is sad. But Saul's struggle with this evil spirit, with his inner demons, only began after his defiance of Yahweh's commands. The inner demons that Saul struggled with came as a consequence of his disobedience to God. And later on, we will see that it is this evil spirit that comes over him and manipulates him or controls him to want to kill David, to feel a grudge against David, to want to end David's life. Whatever the mission that Saul had, came to an end because number one, low self-esteem. Number two, disobedience led him 
to fight with inner demons that later led him to lose his calling. It's not so much about what is a grudge, but where a grudge comes from that we must be careful of. Because if we're not careful in the process, we will also lose the call of God and the promises of God in our life. Can you stand to your feet tonight as I close this? Where does a grudge come from? Low self-esteem. Turning into pride. Both. Both. Or a formula for failure. Low self-esteem. Arrogance and pride. Or a formula for failure. And when we read and we see the story, eventually you get to chapter 31. Saul falls on his sword and commits suicide. And the Bible tells us that that day Saul took his own life with his sword. And Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day what started off as something with potential with promise ended in tragedy and some have suggested like I said to you today that Saul's main problem was in his self depreciation, low self-esteem, but it was also his rebellion, his unwillingness to submit to God. Sometimes we don't realize it, but these two things are crucial. They can make us or they can break us. We don't realize this, but our choices eventually make us into who we are. And you can start off right. You can start off making the right choices. But if along the line and in the process, you deviate. You let pride set in. You begin to do your own thing. You begin to follow your own desires. And you begin to reject God's word. Your choices will lead to destruction. Out of this comes many evils. Grudges is one of them, as we see in Saul's story. But there are many more. But the choices that we make will lead us to the fate we obtain. And so, Paul notes in 1 Corinthians, that the stories of the Old Testament are examples that were written down as warnings for us 
so that he or she who thinks they're standing firm can be careful that they don't fall as well. Because when we read the story of Saul and David, we usually see ourselves not in Saul, but in David. We want to be that man, that king, that person after God's own heart. When we read Saul's story, we say, hmm, what a horrible man. Because we don't see ourselves in him. But the reality is that all of us have a little bit of Saul in us. Can I get an amen? He who thinks that he's standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Because one day, I'm pretty sure, the people cried out, Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Just because you start out right doesn't mean you will end right. If you're not careful in the process, you could also be a victim of inner demons that will lead you down the path of failure and demise. Saul's story of his epic fail from the heights to the depths should serve to us as a warning about the dangers of unrepentant sin and the impact our choices have on our lives. A grudge is simply the symptom, the root. The root is pride and arrogance and rebellion and low self-esteem. If we want to avoid grudges, which will be very hard, let me tell you, we're just human. And we are sinners. We all have a little bit of salt in us. But if we want to avoid them, find our way back from them, if we want to let go of them, then we must go to the root. And we must come before God. And we must repent of our disobedience, of our lack of trust and faith in Him. We have to say tonight, God, I come before you and I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Forgive me, Lord, for my lack of trust. Forgive me for my doubt. Forgive me 
for my rebellion and my disobedience, even in the small things. Lord, today, we come before you. And if there's one thing that we can do today, is to submit our lives to you. To do your will. To obey you even in the small things. When nobody is looking. And what nobody knows about. May we continue to be faithful to you and your word. So that we may guard our hearts from grudges. So that we may guard our hearts from tragedy. So that we may guard our hearts from failure. God, it's only by your grace. Only by your mercy. That we can have a heart according to your heart.